This is Defenders TV Podcast, Episode 61, looking at Daredevil Season 2, Episode 7, Semper Fidelis, and also looking at Doctor Strange Teaser Trailer Number 1. If you've not listened to the Doctor Strange teaser trailer. You can also look at it on YouTube. Just go to Defenders TV Podcast on YouTube. If you've already listened to the Doctor Strange discussion about the teaser trailer, you can also flick forward to about 35 minutes to the start of the podcast where we discuss Daredevil Season 2, Episode 7, Semper Fidelis. This is Defenders TV Podcast, episode 61, where we are looking at the Doctor Strange teaser trailer number one. Oh, and of course, there's another thing, and that is Daredevil season two, episode seven, Semper Fidelis, Semper Fi. I am one of your hosts, John. I'm one of your other hosts, Derek. And rounding out from the astral planes of Google Hangouts, I'm Chris. We are going into the visual realm, um, so to speak, as we are experimenting with YouTube for this Doctor Strange uh, teaser trailer reaction special. Um, Of course, you can find us on YouTube. Just search Defenders TV Podcast, and we will be there live. Um, You can actually see our faces. We're normally podcasting. We're normally on the stereo realm, um, the 2D of, of this world, but we are here to do our Doctor Strange review of the trailer and reaction, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, this could take probably anywhere up to three hours, four <laughs> hours, or seven hours. And hopefully you can see um, here uh, the Doctor Strange uh, comic book. There you go. There we go. My finger has finally found it. <laughs> um, he's with Death there. He's in great company, mm-hmm. so to speak. Um, for this. Yeah, we thought it would be a bit special since John's the huge Doctor Strange fan and the teaser trailer was released this week. We missed out on our last podcast talking about the Doctor Strange teaser trailer, uh, but we thought we'd give it a go talking about it on YouTube for our first little Defenders TV podcast extra, I think. Yeah, I was uh, I was away with work and I saw it there um, in the hotel and wow, I mean, first off, fantastic. And I mean, like, I just loved it. I was, I was blown away. Mm-hmm. I loved the music. I loved the fact that they introduced Doctor Strange because, you know, there is this thing. I'm a big fan, but even people who love comics and um, maybe don't know that much about him. He's, he is kind of normally on his astral plane. Certainly, for example, Civil War. Mm-hmm. Uh, he didn't participate in that at all in he that did. huge Marvel event, except for being. On his astral plane. He did just sit on his astral plane he the did. whole time, didn't he? Yeah. He <laughs> and, said and he, he, he even he turned around be. and goes like, I'm, I'm going to be Ireland. I'm going to be neutral. I'm just going to sit here and pray for your goodness. <laughs> yeah, like he thought about it and that was it. But then, I mean, he did come out of it um, starting up the new Avengers, which was pretty cool. That's I, right. I did like that. Yeah. So, um, you know, this moving on to the actual trailer. Um, I mean, my first thoughts on on it were really just like wow i was like this was i i watched it again and then i watched it some more and then i watched it again and then i watched other people's reactions about it to see well you know how has this been taken up by um other other people um it seems pretty positive most people you know 
Inception-y, all that kind of thing with the, certainly with that, that cool New York split into, I don't know, four, five refracted, however many times. Um, like was fantastic. I was like, that's great, but I still think there's more magic kind of stuff mm-hmm. to come from this. Definitely. Um, more kind of colorful, psychedelic trippiness going on. Um, which I think we'll probably see in, in more, uh, more trail, the actual trailer for, for Doctor Strange. So I, I can't wait for that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, really, really enjoyed the trailer myself as well. It was really surprising. It was kind of interesting that they took the tack of, um, the creation and origin of, uh, of Stephen Strange into the Sorcerer Supreme. I thought that was a cool tack to take for the first, first time seeing something really unusual in the Marvel Universe. Uh, Chris, what were your thoughts originally? Um, I'm not gonna lie. I came into this trailer kind of like, eh. uh, I am now excited. <laughs> mm-hmm. I was. I'm sorry. No, Yay, I didn't. Jump. Chris, <laughs> you're excited. Right? Yeah. No. Like honestly, uh, like I've watched the the animated film. Um, I've additionally kind of. I have never read a Doctor Strange novel or mm-hmm. graphic novel or comic, but his character being intertwined, especially with Spidey and Manhattan and stuff. Um, yeah. I, I went in somewhat fledgling, yep. knowledgeable about him. Yeah, I um, like most people. Yeah, but I, it, it looks interesting. Right, I think it's thing. So, like exactly the set when you said exceptionally, that was what came to mind. When it was like the world going, doo, 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 doo. I was like, okay, that's that that that's a bit strange because we're <laughs> used to now them trying to put Marvel somewhat kind of boxed into either outer space or Earth. Yeah. One or the other. This is introducing, as you said, the actual plane, magic, whole new thing. So I was like, okay, let's let's see how it is. But it was good. Like I, I'm hyped to see more. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I think that's I want I want to see this second trailer. I think that's the thing. So, oh absolutely. Like yeah. this was hugely origin central and like in, in a sense, in two minutes they did cover his origin hugely yeah. well. Yeah. Um like it was brilliant. And I mean, just for me, the, the, the quick intercut, um, of, uh, from Stephen Strange, the surgeon to, to Stephen Strange post accident. I, I absolutely loved. I mean, the bit where he's walking to, um, the window in his, uh, Manhattan penthouse, um, as the arrogant surgeon in his black tie having mm. a drink, um, to him kind of down and out, presumably just, um, you know, crushed um f- by the fact that he's now lost his his hands i mean hands were hugely important in this trailer as well uh, showing him as the surgeon showing him with his broken hands in in bed trying to be repaired mm. with that kind of little shake to his hand at one and i love the cutting of that but where it got me was where the music just ramped up um, where he he moves from being arrogant surgeon in his uh, in his penthouse apartment to the down and out as they move towards the window. I, I really really like love that. That encapsulates his character um, really neatly for me. Um, I love that, and I, I love like you know they had the the dark sort of car crash, and I'm I'm convinced that that image of him upside down with his kind of crushed hands going um, <laughs> in the car post accident. Um, I think that is um, 
one of the the pains out of Michael Straczynski's uh, Strange, oh, which right. was kind of a retelling of the origin. Mm. Or if it's not that, there's it's one of the um, it's maybe the Doctor Strange one number one that was done recently as well. Uh, year uh, year one, wasn't year it? one. That's yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. like. Um, I, I think that's a fairly iconic image from one of the the comics that that deals with his origins. So uh, that was pretty cool to yeah. see. Um, and I do actually think, I like I just loved it. I mean, there's so much I can talk about here. Mm-hmm. Um, one question. So so rather than it's just me talking all the time about Doctor Strange, Doctor Strange, uh-huh. Doctor Strange. Um, the the image of um. Baron Mordo and um, Stephen Strange walking across the courtyard at the Ancient One's temple and that symbol on the ground. Is that, do you think, an ancient representation of the Tesseract? It looked like, um, what's the, the, What's the the film production company that works with Christopher Nolan a lot? Um, uh, I can't remember what it's called now, but they have a similar kind of looking symbol. Right. It reminded me of that actually, which I thought, given all the Inceptiony stuff going on, was was pretty cool. They're just making a, a, um, a little Easter egg in the trailer. Yeah, for, exactly. For the stuff that it um, make you think of. And uh, but that looked to me like some kind of form of the Tesseract, but it still had a circle in the middle with little dots around. And I'm wondering, is that uh, one of the these gemstones for... Um for the uh, the gauntlet, mm-hmm. is is it um, the Eye of Agamato? Um, Agamato, sorry. Um, so what do you think of those? Uh, me, I didn't think Tesseract. Yeah. But now you're saying it, I'm like, okay. Because they still have to introduce, what, the... We've had the mind, we've had the soul. Time. We have time? No, we haven't had time. Haven't had time, yes. Haven't had time. So potentially it's time. Mm-hmm. He's he's faced with going back and fixing his hands or going on to stay as strange and save the universe as a source of supreme. There you go. Maybe, maybe. I definitely like the idea that the uh, that the ancient one knows possibly about the tesseract and knows about all the ge- all the gemstones. I like that idea. This this movie does seem like it's going to take the Marvel universe in a very different direction from the lead up to uh, the Infinity War, I suppose. Um, but it does show that there could be a part there for the ancient one and for and for Doctor Strange. Definitely, yeah, really interesting uh, little shot that was in there. Um, yeah, I like that. To me, was. That was a nice little um, symbol in there, I think, as well. Um, in terms of that, then some of the big wow moments for me was obviously Mads Mikkelsen. Like, I love Mads Mikkelsen from Hannibal. Oh, yeah. um, obviously, great Bond villain in uh, Casino Royale, mm-hmm. um, where we see the, his character here um, moving his hands around in, you know, a nice 70s psychedelic <laughs> disco fashion to bend the reality around him. <laughs> like, uh, that was, like, awesome. That was kind of our first glimpse of, of maybe how the reality around people get gets um, gets uh, modified by, by the magical powers. We see uh, Tilda Swinton, who... Um, you know, we do have to call her T Swints, uh, definitely. <laughs> T Swints knocking the um, the astral soul from Stephen Strange and him seeing his hands sort of fixed before him uh, on this other plane as well. Um, that was absolutely incredible. I, I see they've gone for a creamy white rather than a blue. So that's kind of an interesting change um, on uh, the astral plane, okay. maybe. maybe. Uh, or maybe it's just. You know, it will develop over time. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Um, but as well, uh, then 
obviously there's the MC Escher Inception moment. So like, awesome. And just really good way of, of bringing it. I, like actually as Mads Mikkelsen moves his hands around and it looks like he's in a church and the, all the pews move around and mm. the stained glass windows. There's a moment where the stained glass windows come across and then move out. And it does look like there's two big red eyes there. Yeah. And, and there <laughs> is this notion that, um, Mads Mikkelsen, you know, we don't know and we can't confirm who he's going to be. There's theories that he's nightmare. There's theories that he's, you know, a, a break. So he's a break off sect from the ancient one, mm-hmm. um, who maybe is being controlled or is an agent of, um, of Dormammu, Dormammu, and and maybe that he ultimately, with his eyes, could be like the mindless ones that glow red, Mm. Um, and maybe that's why you see these two kind of red eyes uh, in the stained glass window. And it's probably no one, but it maybe symbolizes that or something, so that was cool. Okay, John, I have two questions for you, and you can take them whichever order you want. First one, ancient one, gender change. Mm Mm-hmm. And how do you think some people are going to take that? And additionally, how do you how do you take it, based on you are in love with the lore? Second question: How is this going to in fully? How do you think it's going to slide into the 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 MCU? Because at the Ooh. moment we have no we have no we have had Stephen Strange mentioned once mm-hmm. in Winter Soldier, just the name, nothing yes. else. <clears throat> We haven't fully got magic yet because we haven't seen it. In if we've got some things in Peggy Carter, but that's probably about it. We know that some of it's going to be connected over. But other than that, how is this going to slide? It's like how are they going to fit this in? Okay, so I'm going to go with the second question first. Okay. For me, um, you know, there's talk at the moment about Baron Mordo and Mad- Mads Mikkelsen's character and how is. Is, is Baron Mordor going to fulfill his destiny from, from the comics? Who He's ultimately um, the antagonist of Doctor Strange, like long-standing and regular antagonist of, of Doctor Strange. He's the Red Skull to um, to uh, Captain America, yeah. to, to, to that extent. Um, but one of the interesting things is that Straczynski's um, retelling of the origin has Baron Mordor as a sympathetic character. Okay? Um, and so who gets corrupted because he sees Stephen Strange getting the attention of the Ancient One. And ultimately, he kind of sells himself to Dormammu to be um, hit the the antagonist, to gain these powers that he feels should be his and not Stephen Strange's. It could be that now that is replaced with Mads Mikkelsen having that. But I, I think the point I'm trying to say is that I think Dormammu has to be the big bad in some way. And I think he's got to be as big as Thanos. He's got to be at that, that background level to that extent. And maybe things like nightmare and the mindless ones are all kind of, you know, hiding his identity for, for the time being. But so in terms of how it links in with the MCU, it's either that Thanos and Dormammu have some kind of connection Mm. Okay. Uh, you know that it's not only happening in the current world, but it's happening in the other realms of and dimensions of of, of Stephen Strange, or maybe Dormammu becomes the big or bigger bad of the Phase Three, Phase Four. 
mm-hmm. that it becomes a, a more a bigger fight that goes beyond the, the 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 present day and different realms like we've seen in in Thor and it's kind of where I first thought that Stephen Strange was gonna uh, pop up or yeah. that when they explained um the different realms around Asgard but I mean that didn't happen mm. so I I think either he's a, he's an ally of, of Thanos Dormammu and this is how Stephen Strange works into um the the MCU as it is or that ultimately maybe they're going with a different route and they're they're starting up with a new big bat because i mean one of the things is is how they might integrate stephen strange into civil war and given he does just sit on his astral plane and he takes no part in effect and so like they would have to if if he was coming in even as post credits and you know that maybe post credits would best represent what actually happened in the comics where mm-hmm. he's just there sat there yeah. fighting a different kind of war that there's different wars going on here there's the civil war there's the infinity war and then there's the the astral uh interdimensional war that's happening and yeah. these are the three wars that are going on in the mcu at the moment so that that that's one thing that I, that I think how it will connect in what about Sorry. ragnarok mm. ragnarok's coming it is, and it could be, yeah. Like, I really hope that they take Doctor Strange's character with the Hulk and with Ragnarok, mm-hmm. and that we have the Hulk being maybe Asgard's new Ragnarok. I don't, I don't know enough about the mm-hmm. Ragnarok as as the comic event, but I do know that the Hulk has been seen in the animated version um, of of being the new Ragnarok for for um asgard as he attacks i think as um, in the destruction of asgard is ragnarok yeah, yeah. yeah. so it could be something to do with that it, the, the, you know we've got bruce banner here and i think one of and and the hulk and one of the best a- aspects of that is that you know stephen strange does banish him to another planet because he becomes uncontrollable and mm-hmm. maybe thanos will make him uncontrollable maybe there's that kind of arc ready to be used in, in the mm. MCU. i mean i have no idea but that you could really link that in in that way like i i loved uh world war hulk i love the fact with the oh, illuminati yeah. and, and the fact that it requires doctor strange mm-hmm. to banish the hulk because everyone else just makes him more angry and more powerful whereas before he knows it and without realization he's he's sent away ultimately yeah. ultimately he's exiled and that's the only thing you can do to him um, and that is part of the reason why dr strange sat out of civil war i think that's uh, one of the things we we've spoken about but um it is the fact that he is too powerful to be involved in kind of earthly discussions like this of you know whether the squabbles of mortal men Exactly. Well, like if if a nation wants to register their superheroes, well, if Doctor Strange walks in and goes, "Well, I'm on this side, and I'm going to take out the people on the opposite side," they're all going to be taken out within, you know, a click yeah. of a finger or a, a wave of a hand. Uh, that's kind of the end of them. So, um, as to how he's going to fit in with the MCU, just to kind of answer that point as the kind of MCU side or on the movie side, um, remember he is a character that's in the New York area. He is a very grounded character at the beginning of the film. So uh, it feels like the movie's probably going to go in kind of a two parts. Um, way where you have the grounded Stephen Strange in the city working in the hospital possibly we'll see an appearance of Night Nurse um, we'll possibly mm-hmm. see an appearance of uh, Rosario Dawson's character whether she's Night Nurse or not um, just to kind of tie it up and say he works in the same hospital as the Defenders have been visiting for the last two seasons or three seasons uh, that'd be kind of cool that would be but, cool 
Yeah, but that would ground it. That would keep it in the MCU. You'd have a smaller bit part uh, character coming into the movie. And then you can just blow it all wide open. Much like in the trailer, the one moment for me that jumped out and said, now we're in a different movie is obviously the ancient one knocking the soul out of Stephen Strange (laughs) with one punch. Um, as he, as he looks down at his hands throughout the trailer, it's only a two minute trailer, but it comes across that he's lost the ability to do surgery by breaking his hands. He's been staring at them. The hands have been shaking and wobbling, as you mentioned, John. Uh, and as he gets thrown out of, uh, out of his own body, he looks down at his hands as if they're repaired. He just looks down and goes, wow. Okay. She fixed me. I am now powerful yeah. again. Um, that moment of realization. And then he obviously ends with the, him on his knees shouting, teach me, ask the ancient one. Um, obviously all the same scene. Um, but it does tell you that the movie is going to be something vastly different than we've seen in the MCU so far, but it can ground us to begin with and then jump out into the wider, uh, wider realms, I suppose, of the universe. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> I think, I think that one of the difficult things to get right with Stephen Strange and Doctor Strange is, um, that balance between him being almost indestructible. Mm-hmm. And being grounded and vulnerable. Um, and that's one of the things that the origin tale does really, really well. Um, I also think that, um, you know, th- they have to be aware of that balance because if he is almost indestructible and, and can't be touched by mortals and so on, then he, like you have to really tread carefully with that as a character. Absolutely. Um, yeah. I think you've got to have him vulnerable in the real world. And I mean, he is that when he is meditating and in the astral plane. But you, I think as well, even outside of that, I think it is that Stephen Strange makes that decision that in reality, in that world as we know it, um, he is Stephen Strange. He is also the Sorcerer Supreme, but he does that work on a different dimension and in different dimensions. Um, He doesn't apply that except in defense in the real world. But it it is a fine balancing act, I think, that you you have to take with the character about how much you make him really powerful and all-powerful and how much you make him vulnerable. Mm -hmm. Um, It's something I think that writers have struggled with in the comics. And I think sometimes that's why they have defaulted back to um, the origin tale of it, which really has that balance nicely portrayed on the page. I think recently where they've done a great job of showing that vulnerability was um, Doctor Strange, The Oath by... um, Brian K. Vaughan, mm. and, and also with the development of the new Avengers, where ultimately he's pass, he passes on being Sorcerer Supreme to someone else. You have again Dormammu, uh, I think it's the Red Hood, if I remember rightly, um, being an agent of Dormammu. Dormammu generally acts through associates and, and, and affiliations, mm. only revealing himself at the end, at least within our world. So that's, I, I think that's something that, um, you know, just bringing it full circle will be either the Baron Mordo character or it will be the Mads Mikkelsen character as being mm-hmm. some kind of agent of, of Dormammu, I hope. But I think one thing to mention, we did talk about this, myself and John had a phone call directly after he watched the trailer for, I think, the 10th or 15th time. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I'd recorded it straight off the bat, but we did have a bit of a conversation about the comic book. So I've, I've, I know Doctor Strange from reading Strange Tales, which was a dual book, book with Nick Fury and Doctor Strange stories kind of back to back, one very grounded uh, character in uh, in espionage, effectively, and then the other very mystical and, and mysterious character in, in Doctor Strange. Um, but one of the elements that you spoke about was, 
was when he is traveling the astral plane that his body is left behind under the protection of Wong yeah. and Baron Mordo. Um, something like that being brought in as, you know, possibly this is how you take out Stephen Strange to go after his body when he's on the astral plane, I think is quite interesting. It's almost like a vampire idea where during yeah. the daytime they're they're protected by their underlings and at nighttime then they are the fiends and villains. Whereas this is something where the good guy is under the protection of someone like Wong yeah. who could potentially be gotten past by Mordo uh, if they do turn on each other. Uh, and he goes to take out Stephen to get the mantle of Sorcerer Supreme. That's a lot for this particular trailer, yeah. a two-minute trailer, um, but um, but that's a possibility for for the future of the character. I think. Yes, I'm sorry. I've just set my um, Darth Vader slippers off on its heavy breathing. Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah, anyway, uh, <clears throat> moving on to the second point, T. Swints uh, as the ancient one. I like. I think the ancient one can be anyone. Yes. Um, yeah. It's it's a bit. It can the mantle can be passed over in the same way that Sorcerer Supreme can be, mm. and, and you know the Ancient One has changed. Um, I think um, you know back in the the sixties and with the seventies, it was you know the, in the psychedelic era of huge amounts of drugs and so on. This mysticism, this new philosophy coming out of Asia, um, it would make sense for the Ancient One to be. Um, an old uh, guy, f- wise, you know, it adds wisdom to the character and, and coming from Asia. It fits in with the time when this character was developed. Yeah. Um, now, um, maybe it it can be still that, or it could be a woman, or it could be someone who's androgynous. Um, it could be any of those. Um, <laughs> Darth Vader. Darth Vader speaks again. Um, uh, it could be Darth Vader. Who knows? Like um, oh, no, that it, would be cool. The yeah, it could one. be the ultimate, uh, like Marvel, Star Wars, Disney mashup. Right. Um, <laughs> like I mean, they have said that this is um, the new Disney Fantasia. I think the cinematographer that, yeah, yeah. that has put uh, the work into this. So I mean, I can only see that the visuals of the astral plane and different dimensions will only get trippier. Absolutely. Um, to to really sort of justify that that remark. But so I'm happy. I, I had absolutely no problem with Tilda Swinton there as the ancient one with mm-hmm. the bald head. I mean, she was fairly androgynous there, definitely. Um and I mean, we've only really just caught a glimpse here. So I mean, Certainly. until yeah. maybe the actual full trailer, or actually until the film, um, it's difficult to know. But I don't have any problem with um, it not being cast to a, a, an Asian uh, actor mm-hmm. uh, or actress here. I think, um, and again, it doesn't preclude there being that character in the film or in the franchise and series. There could be an ancient one that fits the very stereotypical type that was in the seventies comic books. Um, Tilda Swinton is obviously playing the big role of training Stephen Strange on. But would you make an announcement that there is an older Asian actor that maybe a lot of people don't know? Would you make that announcement that he's going to have two minutes in the film? Uh, it's very possible we'll see an origin story of why Tilda Swinton is the ancient one. Um, that's very possible yeah. as well. So. Yeah, but you just gotta love the rhetoric of the internet. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah. how can a woman play a man? <laughs> well, didn't back in Shakespeare all men play women? Absolutely. I'm just gonna leave Pantomime. it there. Boom. And um, Panto. Oh, Panto. Panto. Yes. Yeah, yeah, it's great. Okay. 
<laughs> well, that'd be brilliant. Midway through the fight scene with Tilda Swinton, <laughs> Doctor Strange, he's behind you. <laughs> I think Don't John will be saying that anyway while watching it in the cinema. But I think it's around time to to kind of wrap this up. So let's get a couple of final points in there. Just uh, one of the things for me. Obviously, the movie is directed by uh, Scott Derrickson. We haven't spoken a huge amount about Doctor Strange, despite mentioning it on all sixty-one of our podcasts so far. <laughs> um, but one of the big things for me is Scott Derrickson is directing this film. He comes from uh, the movie Sinister, which is a, a horror movie. Uh, I like the fact that he could be bringing in a bit of horror into the Marvel Universe. I like that touch. Uh, it's also written by um, Robert Cargill, Steve Robert Cargill, who uh, who wrote Sinister with Scott Derrickson. So uh, they come from that past. They've worked together in the past. And hopefully they'll be bringing in a lot of a, a bit of a horror element to those kind of weird visuals that we're going to get with the astral plane and with the fighting with demons that, that is hopefully going to be coming in. With Absolutely. Um, one mention that, that uh, we saw on Twitter from Robert Cargill directly after the trailer was released, he basically said, getting lots of praise from people about it he said this is purely the trailer of the origin now that we've set that up things are just going to get wilder and crazier as the trailers are released so love that idea really really enjoyable yeah that would be sweet um i think um you know for me the the couple of other things here rachel mcadams we see her character Mm. there briefly um and i think actually just coming back to the gore and the horror element i don't think Normally, in other Marvel uh, movies, uh, when, when it cuts to um, from Stephen Strange bearded face to him being pushed on the gurney, um, a lot of blood there. You know, he looks yeah. beat up. He looks bruised, battered, and um, cut. All that really good. His hands as well. Like that. I think that even just that aspect of it shows Scott Derrickson at work here, um, and, and that kind of aesthetic to not shy away from the fact that, well, this guy's just been in a car accident. Yeah. He is wrecked. I mean, literally. Um, so that was really cool. And we see then Rachel McAdams sort of looking down. And, and again, I think it's from Straczynski's uh, retelling of the origin. There is this um, female uh, nurse and assistant that helps him. Uh, we have that in Doctor Strange, The Oath as well. Where mm-hmm. it's And that is Night Nurse. It's called... Um, it really is like brought out as night nurse. Yeah. Um, so whether Rachel McAdams is night nurse, I don't know, or whether she's night nurse and she becomes clay or clear. I never know how to pronounce that. Um, that I think we will see that. And just for the listeners who may not know Dr. Strange, clear. Clea is the the lady that essentially um, he falls in love with. I think she is related to Dormammu. Right. Um, there is this notion as well, always, that there's a fate element to Stephen Strange becoming the Sorcerer Supreme and that she's watching over him. So, yes, she takes human form here, but that um, there is a notion that he has a destiny to fulfill mm. um, here. So that Clea is... Um, Rachel McAdams' ca- character, and in in the, the the first part of the movie, maybe she's night nurse, um, or yeah. just a regular um, associate and helper. And of course, then finally, okay. I think to close out, we have the seal of Vashanti and the the fantastic uh, window as Doctor Strange walks up towards it with his cloak flapping around, which was a, there was a really nice touch, I think, brought out from uh, IGN. And I can I completely pass over over me, but it, it makes absolute sense. You know, it's not a cape. It is a cloak, and mm-hmm. it's the cloak of levitation. And it has its own sort of mind. It, it, it So the flapping about of this cloak okay. as he walks up the stairs, you know, he's indoors. There is no wind here mm-hmm. that unless that he could big be window farting. is open. 
maybe he's just let off. He's had a lot of beans. He's walking up the stairs. That the cloak is shifting around way too much for that. In, for indoors so that actually the cloak is just responding as it would to its environment to uh the sorcerer supreme so that was a really great it's moving um, about in its own, yeah. spot actually i yeah, thought okay. yeah, good catch good catch uh chris any final thoughts on the doctor strange trailer i'm i'm anxious and yet also intently curious Excellent. Excellent. There you go. There's it. That's, that's it. I got it in three words. I like I like it. And with a two-minute trailer, that's kind of all they want to do. Listeners, as you can probably tell, we could sit here for the entire day talking no, about yeah, just this yeah, two-minute yeah. teaser. It's led into so much. Really excited about that. Um, but we won't. Um, what we will probably do as we're coming into Doctor Strange, myself and John were talking about it last night, we will probably actually cover the 1978 Doctor Strange film, the... <gasps> animated Doctor Strange film and obviously the release of Doctor Strange because everything leads to Doctor Strange it does all things lead to uh, Doctor Strange including YouTube now where you can find us talking about Doctor Strange Uh, just search Defenders TV podcast on YouTube and you can find our YouTube feed here as I say this is a bit of an experiment for us we Mm -hmm. haven't done uh, vodcasting before so we thought we'd give it a go see how it works and this Um, one was supposed to be about four minutes it was supposed to be about four (laughs) minutes it's now coming up to around half an hour and But we will uh, cover the rest of uh, Daredevil Season 2, Episode 7, Semper Fidelis, on uh, the stereo realm, uh, I suppose. (laughs) Uh, We'll be moving back to uh, the world of podcasting rather than vodcasting um, for this. But remember, you can find our podcast at DefendersTVPodcast.com forward slash iTunes or any other good or strange podcast uh, catcher such as uh, Podcast Addict, Player FM or Beyond Pod. Absolutely and we are also releasing the episodes now up on YouTube. You can listen to them while there aren't any huge moving images throughout those podcasts. You will see the episodes when they're released. Uh, Every week usually on a Thursday we release our our full review of a Daredevil episode. Uh, And if you want to get in contact with us make sure you follow us over on Twitter at DefendersCast. You can follow us on Google Plus where you can see these videos as well i just search for defenders tv podcast and if you want to send us some feedback just pop it in on by email to feedback at defenders tv podcast and finally you can come and join us on our group over on facebook just go to facebook.com slash groups slash defenders tv podcast now i think it's on with the podcast yeah uh, thanks for joining us for all things strange and now listen to us later come on come on i'm expecting you to follow come on All right, over to our podcast. Bye. 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 So that's about enough of the astral plane. I think it's time to get back into our discussion of Daredevil Season 2, Episode 7, Semper Fidelis. Yeah, there's never enough astral plane. (laughs) <laughs> of course. Of course. Uh, so this episode of Daredevil, we'll start off the usual way, uh, was directed by Ken Garotti. Uh, he directed the episode In the Blood from Season 1. Uh, uh, season 1, Episode 4, I believe. Uh, he's also directed episodes of Rescue Me, episodes of Vikings, and episodes of Orphan Black. Um, this episode was written by uh, Luke Caltro, uh, who wrote World on Fire and has been executive story editor for the season this year, so quite quite heavily involved in all of the episodes that we've seen so far. Uh, John, do you want to tell us what they gave us with your synopsis of this episode. Sure. Frank Castle's divisive trial begins in New York as Nelson and Murdoch, attorneys at law, take on the district attorney Samantha Reyes and assistant district attorney Blake Tower. 
However, their client refuses to play along with their legal strategy to cite post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD, as a mitigating factor. As Foggy and Karen develop a new defence strategy to destabilise the DA's arguments, they hit on inconsistencies in the medical examiner's report on the deaths of Frank Cattle's family, as Cattle indicates that the report has been doctored. All the while, Matt neglects his work on Cattle's case to continue moonlighting with Natchez as they investigate the accuser's activities in New York. At a railway yard, Electro is wounded by the Yakuza as her and Daredevil investigate train cars full of dirt. After all the nighttime activity, however, Matt is late to make his opening statement at Castle's trial, and a reluctant Nelson is forced to take over for him. Murdoch's relationship with Foggy deteriorates to breaking point, as Foggy suggests to Matt that he leaves the Punisher case following revelations of his nocturnal work with Electra. As Murdoch struggles to balance his dual identities, Daredevil and Natchez follow up on a lead to an abandoned warehouse where they make an unexpected and very dark discovery. Of course, that dark discovery being a big black hole. Absolutely. (laughs) As I said in my brief comment in this episode over on our Facebook group, the underground of New York has now opened up for the Yakuza. (laughs) And it's almost to the center of the earth by the the (laughs) non-sound of things by the end of this episode. Yeah, absolutely. It's still traveling, the the thing thrown off the the top by Matt. Absolutely. I I think for most Netflix viewers, it took about 15 seconds for that to land, uh, didn't it? So uh, (laughs) you you would have probably watched on to the next episode. But listeners, as you know, the way we cover our episodes is we watch the episode as many times as we want to. We podcast about it. And then, and only then, can we go on to the next episode. So, uh, this was a nice little hanging uh, trailer, I suppose, for the next episode. And really exciting to see what's going to happen coming up. Uh, again, if this is your first time joining us, if you've just watched our coverage of Doctor Strange over on YouTube and have come join us for the first time on our podcast, the way we cover our episodes is we discuss f- our top five points of the episode, uh, some good, some bad. And then hopefully by covering all of those, we'll ha- talk about the full episode and uh, and get all of our discussion points in. Uh, Chris, do you want to kick us off with your first point about this episode? Yeah, what I wanted to talk about was like the idea of Matt's life being thrown out of balance by Electra. It's getting mm-hmm. really emphasized at uh, this one. Like she kind of she causes him to completely botch his presence at the Punisher trial, and it's left down to Foggy and kind of Karen. Um, and I think I, I briefly mentioned in the last episode kind of this fact where we're going to start seeing more and more, which is a usual piece in comics where we have a double life, and this double life is starting to. Frey, he's basically screwing up his time and his responsibilities on both sides yeah. um, just to basically look at this big black hole. <laughs> it's very vague, like going into working with Lecture for this vague thing and so far all of this vague thing we've seen is a decrypted ledger that led to a train car full of dirt mm-hmm. and then uh, a hole. And I'm like, yeah. okay. Uh, <laughs> like I, I'm getting, I'm getting like hints of parts of Shadowland, um, yes, which was too. a story uh, kind of back in about three, four years ago in Daredevil, mm-hmm. where um, the Hand built a fortress in Hell's Kitchen yes. to try and raise a demon. So the, potentially what this is, is that like they're building, I don't know if they'll go down the full demony kind of route mm-hmm. uh, for the thing, but they probably could be that the Yuki's and the Hand are building... Like, this is why they're phoning dirt. They want to have their temple in Hell's Kitchen. So that could be one thing here. But I, I do like the fact that they're showing it by 
man is destroying his life piece by piece by piece and um, just because he has this sexual tension with a lecture mm-hmm. uh, yeah. which keeps the, the episode engaging but there <laughs> was there was no payoff I always expect the piece when they were on the, the couch mm-hmm. I was expecting this great kind of like romantic scene where they're exploring each other's scars and then it goes all um mature audience only xxl <laughs> xxx version but uh and i would pay to see that but um no i think it's just i think it was good i think this is it was it was interesting that they're going down this route yeah i i definitely i don't think in the netflix show they're actually going to do that with matt uh this quickly we haven't actually seen a relationship within season one there was no real relationship for matt there was just kind of the the touch on of of uh, karen page um i don't know whether they do for his first love story that it's a love triangle um while he's still going out with karen so i think that's probably why we saw and i'm sure we'll talk about it the the big fight scene between karen and matt kind of leaving him open to now pursue something with Electra yeah. if he wants to. Um, but the fact that the two of them are in a loving relationship while while Electra comes over and stays over for the night, while yes, she does look gorgeous and there's definitely some kind of nods to the fact that Matt is still slightly interested in her. Uh, I don't know whether he would have slept with her while still going out with Karen. I don't know whether they'd go that route on the Netflix show, but I do think it's open uh, in a future episode, definitely. Um, I did also make the point about the about Shadowlands as well. I, I, I definitely saw that reference and I think we talked talked about it during our season one coverage when uh, when we realized that the Yakuza were looking for a specific building um, out of uh, the their dealings with Kingpin in season one. They were looking for a specific tenement. Uh, that's where the whole storyline of uh, of the ten- the people who lived in the tenement needing to be thrown out um, so that that particular building could be handed over to the Yakuza. Uh, that's where that all came from. So I do remember talking about it at the time. And yeah, there does feel like there's something mystical there, um, that there is a possibility that this could open up into a much uh, much less normal street-level story uh, coming up in the rest of this season or possibly even leading into season three. Absolutely. Or it could lead into sort of Iron Fist as well, or just the Defenders. It certainly would sort of suggest that with it being, um, you know, that potential gateway to a, to a demon. Yeah. Um, that'd be really interesting. And don't forget, we did see Stone last season, who was definitely a much more mystical character, um, dealing with sticks. So it is possible that it, that this is the revelation that we're going to get some kind of big opening of the world or opening of the universe to another dimension underneath New York City. Kind of a cool idea, actually. Yeah, I mean, for me, I definitely took Electra and Matt bonding here. Um, maybe not so much, obviously, uh, from a sexual point of view, but I love the the kind of moment in the railway uh, yard after their kind of initial fight where she does say, the best things in life leave you breathless, right? Mm-hmm. And he goes, well, there is more. And I, I think it was just that, that kind of hand up that he gave her. Um, it just felt like a, a bond, a team, yeah. Um, which was really that was kind of quite cool. I thought um, it, it took it away from being a romantic relationship or even just a purely physical one, and that that it was this both of them being a team. Um, I think though it also set in context um, the conversation on the on the sofa uh, where she basically says, "You know, you deserve better." I mean, it makes it really mm. foggy. Um, what she is about because you know she knows about nobu and there's she's her father's finances are deep in rocks on and you know we do know that there is the potential for her to be um bad and be connected with um the hand and all of this so um 
you know, is she in that moment? Is she trying to escape? Is there other things going on here? Is she using Matt? And like all these questions, I can't wait to find out really, because um, I, I kind of feel that underneath all of this, she is maybe just using him to, to circumvent him finding out the the real truth whatever that may be yeah 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 absolutely no really good point really good point i do like the call out of nobu in this episode you yeah. know we we just want to make sure that you remember that nobu died at last season he was in battle with with matt he's the one that left him with all the scars i love those little call outs so uh i think there is a very good possibility that we'll see peter shinkota back in this season having been resurrected possibly by the hand uh, i think that's a really cool idea and again taking it away from the street level hero that we saw in season one um hopefully opening up the door for uh, an introduction to Doctor Strange. Well, what if... So, in a lot of the comic books, Elektra dies Mm -hmm. and she's resurrected. So if they do bring back Nobu Mm -hmm. because they did the very blatant call-out, do you think... Okay, obviously, Bullseye can't kill her in this season or this kind of... this show, this arc. Yeah. Yeah. But could she die of natural of some unnatural cause, like something someone else kills her, Nobu kills her, and then season three or a, a follow up piece is where she comes back? It's very possible, and I like I like the idea definitely. I think once they bring back any character from the dead in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, then the doors are blown off. Yeah. Really, the the possibilities of any character that's died in the past coming back. Remember, we've already had it. Clark Gregg died. Um, yeah. His character of Agent Coulson got killed in Avengers and now has a TV show that's running into its fourth season. So uh, we do have the possibility of resurrection already out there in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So um, so it is possible that, that same tool was used to bring back, hopefully, Nobu is someone that we will see later on in the season. And once that's done, once we know it's being used by the bad guys, um, I think we it's a very good possibility that that storyline or that arc of Elektra could be something they'll bring in in season three. Yeah, Everyone's going to Tahiti. Yeah. <laughs> exactly exactly it's a, be a it's, great holiday yeah. it's a magical place it is a magical place. it really is <laughs> uh john do you want to give us your next point yeah i am um, it's karen page actually um i begin to understand her uh, i really like the fact that that was kind of called out here twice um where she's trying to help them you know originally i was thinking you know why is a, the non-lawyer being involved in legal strategy mm-hmm. but it, it's more than just a law firm it is a family uh, and i think that's made sort of plain when foggy says uh, they grow up so quickly as she leaves to go and, and sort of prep the punisher and also get some further information from him mm-hmm. and I, you know it's that idea of let me help you know Foggy's got to do um, case prep. Matt's working on the opening statements. And, you know, she really does want to help out and they allow her. I, I think I think it's when she's gone off on her own thing against the advice of Matt and Foggy. I'm kind of going, what's her motive here? Is right. it extra to the... The, the, the story has she got her own personal motive or is it connected with uh foggy and matt's motives for for doing this and i think it is ultimately she's trying to help and she's she's led um she's led them to a number of different points and bits of information that have really helped them in the case and she does so again and i i like the touch later on then where matt goes well have you ever thought about uh be- training to be a lawyer uh, you know to go to law school and, and to really hone these skills because you know it's like he sees a bit of um 
a bit of magic there uh, to to that she has you know a, an aptitude for this Certainly, so i yeah. kind of really like this it kind of answered a bit my question from from the previous uh, episode yeah. which was you know why is karen doing this what what's What's it about? And it is about helping, ultimately. And maybe I could have worked that out much sooner. But uh, it was a bit detached. And I think here we had the link up where yeah. it was expressed um, you know, directly w- between the three of them. And I, I really liked this. I, I started to, to feel that, you know, there is they are working for a common goal. It's not just... Um, Karen going off and doing her own thing, which I, I think she did in season one. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it felt destructive, uh, as you can listen back to uh, our podcasts on that. But yeah, this for me was a nice little moment for for Karen to really sort of set her um, her actual motives. And I, I think in particular, um, it's that conversation with Karen and Foggy where she really just says stop thinking like a lawyer in this case and start thinking about a human being. Frank Castle, he is reliving the murder of his his wife and his two children again and again, day in, day out. This is not something that has happened to him. It's something that is happening. And he's not insane. All these different pleas um, of insanity, um, of uh, PTSD, all of these things, she goes... It's not about that. The truth is, is that he is trying to take down people who are bad. It yeah. is purely that. And he doesn't want to hide from it. And this is the reason if you sit, step back into his point of view for a moment, he is reliving this day in, day out. It's not gone away. It's still there. And this is his coping mechanism. And I thought that was a really good perspective Certainly. Um, to bring uh, to to the show and to Foggy. Yeah, certainly. I have to say this is possibly my favorite scene uh, of Karen Pages this season. Um, I think Deborah Amwell plays the part so well. I think you can totally see in her mind uh, when she's relaying what her opinion about uh, how Frank Castle lives his day-to-day life. Um, when she's relaying that, you can really see that thought process that's going on. You can really see her totally impassioned by it and it really justifies that further conversation that's had later on in the episode, which is another one of my points. Um which I'll talk about now, which is the conversation with Matt, um, oh, where they're yeah. on opposing sides. I think that is a fantastic scene. Um, we talk, talked about it on Facebook, actually, on the Facebook group over at facebook.com slash groups slash Defenders TV podcast. Um, we did talk about it with one of the listeners, Ronaldo. Um, the particular scene itself starts out as just a normal night in, uh, sitting there, you know, a couple of, couple of glasses of wine, some, some Thai food in, um, as they talk about their opposing sides of, uh, of the case, uh, all seems absolutely fine and then unfortunately Karen challenges Daredevil uh, even though she's talking to Matt I know that sounds a bit weird but she starts challenging the ethos behind Daredevil uh, he does believe himself first and foremost to be a Catholic second to be a lawyer and then third to be a defender uh, and she's attacking his approach by saying that she sides with Frank Castle in his willingness to choose who lives and dies effectively within the city what happens if the law uh, if the law fails us, who do we turn to then? And obviously Matt's kind of gone, well, then you turn to God for justice because that's who, that's the only, that's the next logical step. You turn to God, you pray, and hopefully justice will come for those people that have wronged you. That's not what she wants to hear. She, she firmly believes if the law's not on your side and has treated you badly, well, then you can't trust the law. I don't believe in God. Therefore, 
I will trust someone like a vigilante to choose those bad people who should get killed. Um, this is totally opposing what, what Matt's beliefs are. And I think it's a fascinating little study of of that concept. You know, the very firmly Matt is saying to her, I am a believer in religion. I do not believe that anybody has the right above God. He even says at one point, God is the only person that has the right to choose who lives and dies, maybe a jury occasionally, because again, he's a lawyer, which means that he does believe that in some cases, the death penalty exists. Uh, so a, a nice little interesting juxtaposition of the two views. Yeah, and then like I think additionally, well, two points on that. One, first season was all about Daredevil or Matt kind of setting up what his view on vigilantism was. Mm-hmm. And this season so far has been like people coming at odds with his views. Yes. So yes. like it's Absolutely. And the one thing I do love is the thought provoking kind of very much dialogue between them on this morality kind of idea. But like with Daredevil and Electra, like they're willing to f- go completely against his morality without hesitation. Like they lecture sorry, lecture and <laughs> lecture and punisher, excuse me. Um and he has to deal with it. That's what that really is. And I think he was okay with those two characters kind of being in contact with him but having a completely different view because a lecturer's going to be leaving. He's getting out of the city once he's finished dealing with her and Punisher will be punished. Mm-hmm. But now with Karen, her character's changing more because we obviously, what she's alluding to her shady past. And then in season one, she flat out killed someone. Uh, yeah. And that was like, so we're seeing the birth of a character's morality and motive. Absolutely. And you've just brought up a great point, Chris. Does Matt know that she killed Wesley? No. That she took out her revenge on him kidnapping her by shooting him to death? I don't think so. So that that is actually a really good point. She did punish someone. She did take the, the uh, I suppose, the path of Frank Castle by, by killing um, Wesley in the first season. Absolutely. And she does say um, in that conversation with Matt on the couch, she goes, whether it's right or wrong, it works. Yes. Like she, and that's direct experience for her, definitely, where Wesley is no longer an issue for her. Mm-hmm. Um, or, or his goons that he sends out to, to harass her, to try and kill her, because he's dead. He's gone. In, in the same way that Kingpin is gone. Um, and I mean... You know, that does startle Matt, absolutely. He says, you don't believe that. And she kind of does correct it slightly to say, I don't believe he has the right to do it. Yes. But maybe push come to shove, and it has to be done for some reason, if he's under threat, mm-hmm. then it works. You know? Yeah. And that's the thing. Her, it's quite utilitarian of her to say, it works. What he's doing works, whether it's right or wrong. And, um, you know, it's almost being put on the, the, the moral and ethical sort of Humpty Dumpty on the brick wall kind of thing where, um, she's sat in the middle. Yeah. Uh, whereas Matt is taking this, this moral stance because of his religion. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, I've thought of an amazing ending. So basically, <laughs> what they're going to do is they're going to set it up that Matt's there and the big bad whoever ends up being the real big bad of this season being the person turns to him and kind of says like you you have to kill me i'm going to continuously destroy everything you love mm-hmm. if you put me in jail oh oh my god what if it's vincent d'ofio 
What if he okay. he's back? Okay, Kingpin's back, and this is actually right. the prelude. Do you remember that there was a there was a story arc where the Kingpin was destroying everything Matt loved. He was yes. destroying Matt's career, so he he birthed the Punisher. He's part of Roxon or dealing with them. He's mm-hmm. doing all this stuff, and he's actually then like for the rest of the season he'll be trying to destroy Matt, and then it's like Matt's decision is: Do I take Punisher's way out and just kill him and stop him? being bad forever or yep. do I take my way where he'll be end up back in jail and he'll be able to do this again and then we'll have that moral conundrum where you'll see is the strain and all that and I think Charlie Cox would be a good actor to portray that kind of what the hell do I do absolutely absolutely and I know we did see it with obviously Frank Castle did make the same uh, the same kind of ultimatum to uh, to Matt when he had him tied up on the roof of uh, of the building you made the same ultimatum to him if you don't kill me if you do not kill me I will shoot this guy. I will kill uh, Grotto. Uh, the exact same ultimatum was made to him, and, and Matt found a way out of that. But yes, if he's put in the position again and have had a thought about it and potentially been defending Frank Castle for uh, a couple of weeks, um, it would be quite interesting to see if he makes a different decision next time. So it could also be the Punisher. That that could be the other choice. Oh, yeah. The Punisher gets out of gets out of jail because of what Matt and Karen are doing. Uh, sorry, Matt, Karen and Foggy, not to put Foggy out of it since yeah. he's the actual lead yeah. investigator. But because of what they do, potentially Frank Castle gets back out in the streets and then that choice is back on the table for Matt again. But a uh, really interesting thought. Maybe we will see Vincent D'Onofrio back. Yeah, maybe. Or, and, or maybe it's the Punisher. I mean, yeah. certainly there's the connection there. And I mean, that thought actually crossed my mind for a nanosecond because of the tie back to the fact that... Um, the kingpin buys this property for the yakuza yeah, yeah. Um, you know this is the first kind of link back uh, that tenement uh building bought by the kingpin um for his associates um this is the first tie back to that now really first, yeah and first that, big one yeah and it's uh, it's kind of going okay so is it you know there's madam gal as mm-hmm. well potentially that could be involved here you know, she waltzed off uh, far away from New York at the last, um, the end, towards the end of the last uh, season. Yes, much further so away than Asia. Yep. Maybe <laughs> she can really uh, come back here. You know, we're pretty sure that Nobu's going to turn back up here. So um, maybe we get the kingpin turned back up um, as well, that he's some kind of nefarious string pulling from from prison. Yeah. And hopefully we get Zombie Wesley. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty awesome. Uh, let's take us away from Zombie Wesley. Uh, Chris, what's your next point? Um, I want to talk about Foggy. You <laughs> <laughs> want to sing about Foggy? Yeah, just I'll sing about Foggy for like five minutes. No, um, he's yet to do anything really wrong in this series they, if mm-hmm. anything they're building him up past a sidekick character he's becoming the central character in Nelson and Murdoch it's, it's going to be it probably would have been at one point Murdoch and Nelson and now mm-hmm. it is Nelson and Murdoch because he is leading the charge yeah yeah there's definitely always been a reason why his name came first on that plan yeah. <laughs> um, but like if they hadn't kept the character as it was in season one he, mm-hmm. he wouldn't have had the 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 depth that you would be able to apply into this into him as of this character or, or this season um he's like um he still has that kind of comedic edge to him but then when he kind of was in court and he was bumbling and then he puts the notes down and yeah. then you see that what nelson can be 
It was Absolutely. really, really good. It's very impressive. Yeah, very impressive. I like the fact that it's it's kind of him saying, uh, him trying to take Matt's notes and trying to use Matt's notes, but that's not him. He's not Matt. Yeah. He'll never be able to deliver what Matt delivers in court. He's able to deliver his own impassioned uh, kind of plea to the jury, which I really loved. He's becoming the, like the senior partner here. Absolutely. Like he, he's doing the work. He's doing the prep. He's stepping up to the plate. He's actually going to court. He's yeah. actually going to court. And I mean, you know, it is like this great struggle, um, with, with Matt now on his dual identity. I mean, he's got so much going on in, um, his, his world now with Electra, with Roxon, with suddenly seeing, um, the Yakuza involved, mm-hmm. um, and plus Karen, the Punisher, the law firm, all of this, you know? Yeah. No, completely. And I'm just wondering, like, that scene in the bathroom when it's just him and Matt, it was just oh, yeah. so good. Because it mm-hmm. just raised, it. like, because if anything, you side with Foggy. Certainly. Like you don't time. you don't side at all with the the main protagonist of this show. You're yep. going, no, the main protagonist is acting like an ass and you want to help he should be helping his fellow man blah blah blah. He is the guy who wanted to put Punisher in court. He's the one who did all this and yet he's not around. And I just think it, it, it's I'm wondering if this is now the part where Foggy breaks almost with Matt. Like, was that the straw that broke the camel's back? It's very possible. But the, and the worst part about it is about for Foggy, they have to work together. Yeah. They're in the middle of the trial of the century. Uh, they're going to have to work together for the rest of it. I love the moments where Foggy's looking at, at Matt with disdain, really, and going, are you listening to yourself? Why are you blaming other people? Why are you saying your life has taken this course because the Yakuza are still in town? You're a lawyer. You're on the biggest trial. You should be focusing on this. This is life, not this thing that you're doing at night. Nobody's forcing you to go out at night and fight alongside your ex-girlfriend to beat down the Yakuza in New York for whatever reason you don't even know yet. You need to get into court and do the trial that you set up. I love that moment. Really good. Completely. Yeah, I mean, it kind of leads me into my point, which is the breakdown or the fallout of between Matt and Foggy here. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, that that scene in the bathroom... uh, it's just like phenomenal. Um, and I mean, I love the fact that Foggy just cuts through it all. You know, Matt really is um, just, he is lying. He's making excuses. And it's like, you know, stop pretending that things just happen to you. Um, you know, you're the problem. You know, you, you've messed up and missed the strategy, the witness prep, being in court. And, you know, I can't rely on you. I mean, that's yeah. a damning indictment, um, really. And poor little avocados at large, oh. split in half, and the yeah. stone's been taken out. <laughs> been made into lovely guacamole yeah. to yeah. be eaten by Madame Gale and, <laughs> and Nobu and whoever else is, is, you know, auspiciously hanging over them. I just loved it. And I mean, you know, even just the fact that, you know, Karen has been asking questions as well. You know, this it leaks into the relationship of Karen and Matt as well, because she has been asking him, you know, where's Matt? What's he doing? And Foggy's obviously keeping his secrets safe. Um, And here, you know, Foggy storms out of of the bathroom. Uh, Matt essentially tries to really just 
gloss over it with um with karen and she's like not having any of it anymore she's kind of going hang on don't treat me as though i'm not here or i'm not part of this this law firm and you know something's been up for a while now and you need to tell me what it is so it's not just with with matt and foggy but it's matt and karen's now all being kind of um slowly and but surely just fracturing and the tensions becoming way too much and it is is it internal divisions or is it um you know the work of an unseen hand is it a lecture because i mean ultimately her actions blow open this case to cause that fallout absolutely yeah absolutely. is she the you know is she the daisy cutter that's been dropped into the middle of this trio to just absolutely shred everything mm-hmm. yeah I love that she just has no understanding of Matt's real life. Uh, I love that Electra really doesn't care what the heck is going on. Says, you know, oh, he's there studying for his prep for, again, the trial of the century. And she's overhearing it all and going, oh, yeah, I didn't realize that you're that you're pairing red wine with Thai food was so exciting. Uh, she completely ignores the fact that he's go- doing a case and wants to get back to the Yakuza thing. Uh, I love this about about Electra. She is totally a bomb ready to go off at any second uh, to break up this trio. Uh, really, really good. Really good. So I'm talking about the trial of the century. That does lead me on to my next point. Uh, we're currently watching another TV show at the moment, which is the trial of O.J. Simpson. I don't know whether you, you're watching that as well, Chris. No. There's Sorry. some really good things that are going on, some really good parallels between that and this trial. I really liked some of the stuff that were in there. The, the episode itself opens with what I thought was an excellent choice by the director, Ken Garotti, uh, where you've got five or six members of the um, of the jury all saying their opinions about Frank Castle. Oh, yeah. Uh, which is really difficult in jury selection. The whole point of jury selection is you're supposed to find 12 people, good and true, who are your peers but know nothing about you before the case so they don't come in with any kind of prejudice. Uh, the way this whole piece is set up, you've got six people who are who have an opinion on what Frank Castle has done, regardless of whether they're going to be cho- chosen for the jury or not. They say that they went through 400 different people. And I love how it's spliced together, where you've got people saying completely opposing thoughts, yet, set, yet finishing each other's sentences. I thought that was really well written and really well put together. But then you've also got the actual approach that's being taken by uh, by Karen and by Matt and Foggy, and when they take us to the Punisher, to Frank. Uh, I love this scene where they're starting off with the insanity plea, um, and Karen says, no, absolutely not, he's not insane. The response from Foggy uh, being, well, he's at least driven past Crazy Town. Really good. And then they go with the other tack, which is PTSD, which is, seems to be something that you hear about a lot in these kinds of trials, um, where you hear that some uh, some former vet had post-traumatic stress disorder and that's led them to go on and, on a murdering sp- spree when they've come back to uh, the homeland, whatever country they've come from. And I love that Frank instantly shuts that idea down, yeah. just instantly goes, yeah. that would not be fair to the people that genuinely suffer from P- PTSD to say that that's what's caused me to do this. It's not. The battlefield was fine for me. I had no problems there. I carried out my job. It's when I came back to America and lived with my family. That's when my world fell apart. Another fantastic moment from John Bernthal. I really love how he plays this part, and I really love how he's kind of standing up for the idea of the veterans, of the army veterans. Not all of them come back with PTSD, which kind of seems to be the assumption from people that haven't been to war, that war is so bad, you will come back and tear apart your local community the minute you get back. I love that Frank is standing up for that idea, that 
we were an army, we did what we needed to do for our country. And then I came back from that and my world was destroyed. Absolutely fantastic idea and a great kickoff to the trial. No, I, I loved this uh, opening uh, jury selection as well. I thought it was it was really good just how it was handled. I mean, in, in this day and age, it, it must be hugely difficult to find uh, people who have not heard anything uh, about, uh, you know, the the certain cases certainly mm-hmm. high profile ones because of the media involvement eh? it's yeah. kind of what's been shown with um the oj simpson uh tv show as well you know so much is known that how do you maintain impartiality um, and, and an objectivity in deciding exactly um, and you know it is talked about as one of the most divisive trials of the time in here it's a really good thing and i think it um it kind of links in i suppose to a point that I kind of had that, you know, this vigilantism uh, and then sort of working within the legal framework, um, it, it's, it kind of, it comes out in, in the opening statements where Reyes says, this man is no hero, he is a serial killer and he is guilty. Mm-hmm. Um, and was foggy, his tack on it is that Frank Castle never came home. He traded one war zone for another and it's the failings of the DA, you know, and a great little Punisher reference there saying that he traded one war zone yeah. for another, given that Punisher war zone is one of his big books as well. Exactly. Like, and, and, and pointing the finger at, at the current legal system. And, and it is that sort of tension, which presumably we get in civil war as well, between do you support vigilantes and people going out there and, you know, the mob rule to an extent or mm-hmm. the, the one person rule uh, with a vigilante. Um, or do you believe in the system of, um, arrest justice and being sentenced if applicable by uh, peers um in, in a jury and yeah. that i think is a fantastic um kind of aspect to, to this whole episode absolutely i totally feel that reyes could have shortened this down to so which side are you on in civil war then yeah. <laughs> is it team cap or team iron man which side do you want to be on here uh really did like it we mentioned it a couple of times that reyes really does feel like a pro registration type of person and the fact that she calls out here that frank is an unregistered lawless uh individual is definitely a comment on the fact that she's pro registration definitely thought that was a really good really good moment exactly and i, I sometimes wonder whether you know given the context of the show coming out, whether it speaks to some of the tensions within, say, North America, the USA at the moment with regards to gun control, um, you know, this idea of militia, you know, things like um, the uh, US Constitution and the right to bear arms, Mm -hmm. whether, you know, you, you see that vigilantism maybe is acceptable in some quarters of society because you have the right to defend your property yourself and, and if someone gets in the way, um, to, to fire. Um, it's kind of what Frank's about. You know, is Frank Castle this, um, representing the USA? Certainly. You know, America, you, you know, you have that great image of him being pulled into court with the, the stars and stripes behind him whilst he's in his oranges. Really good. Orange is the new Punisher. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, it's just like really, really good because I think it speaks wiser um, than, than Daredevil. Uh, I think more to things happening in society in general and uh, also maybe with uh, in particular for the US as yeah. well. Yeah, I think, I, I think I'd always kind of considered the Punisher as a bit of an allegory for America, uh, especially as seen 
from a foreign country. Uh, it's very much where you can get a- get access to um, to weapons. You can uh, take revenge on whoever you think you need to take or take revenge on. And do you choose to do that or not? Um, do you choose to defend people? Do you choose to go out on revenge and killing sprees? That's kind of the the choice that's there for the big powerful nation that is America. And I like that they've brought that in a little bit here, or at least slightly referenced it here in Daredevil. So with that, Chris, what's your next point? I'm going to bring a bit of a niggle, if I want to call it that, that I'm having at the moment. Like, mm-hmm. the jousting between Reyes and Foggy is great, no matter who's winning. Um, yeah. The one problem I have is this court case is completely unwinnable, if you know what I mean. Like, so yeah. the death penalty's been thrown out, as far as I'm aware. So far, yes. yeah. It's been thrown out. And it has, because it's not being tried in Delaware. I yes, think it was. yeah. There, there was the whole uh, uh, Dogs of Hell um, murders that happened outside of New York, yes. um, and that if they could have gotten uh, an extradition to Delaware, I think it was Delaware, um, that the, they would be able to ask for the, the death, death penalty. penalty. That's correct. Because of their state laws, yeah. So death penalty's out. So now we're just talking life in jail. Yes, yeah, so effectively... Uh, Nelson and Murdoch have have won their first point. That's all they were trying to do to begin with, wasn't it? To stop yeah. Frank going for the death penalty. Yeah. Now, they can't get him off the charges because he was not going to plead insanity or PTSD. Uh-huh. So, what are they trying to do again? Like... that. That is effectively it. They're, they're trying to win that part of the case. They were trying to ensure that he didn't get the death penalty, which he would have been absolutely guaranteed if left unchecked and left to the, um, to the public defender, uh, as we saw in the last yeah. episode. Um, so at, at the moment now, all they have to do is present a, a defense for him. So hopefully he doesn't uh, get maximum life in prison or 12 life sentences, anything like that. They have to just provide a defense because every person that goes into court must have a defense. I don't know whether they feel there is going to be any any way of winning the case at all, but I think they need to have a form of defense for uh, for Frank Castle. Yeah, so originally it was the, the plea bargain was with the DA office um, whereby, you know, if he pleaded guilty, essentially he would just get one um life sentence with i think it was the possibility of parole at some point and up till then it was going to be like four life sentences with no um possibility of parole and mm-hmm. um, obviously he says not guilty so now with the trial brought forward speeded up i suppose really what we've found is that they're, they're scrabbling so they're going well it's insanity and then they kind of go well karen says he's not and secondly I think Matt talks about a 12% uh, sort of success rate for yeah. for that kind of plea in New York. Mm-hmm. So then they're going for the PTSD, and it's all simply to chip away at the life sentence, I think, that is fully um, g- going to come on, on him, like be uh, judged against him for, for what he's done. Um, and I think ultimately he doesn't want that. And so I think they've just decided to ultimately tell it how it is and maybe get some kind of um, notion that he will get parole, try and put it in a way so that, okay, he might get life sentencing, but he will um, get parole or he won't be put into um, general pop. That's what I thought. That's the bit I thought they were trying to do now. And that's what I was like, uh-huh. the only bit that they don't want him in general pop. And I yeah. was like, okay. Because yeah. it's just, the stakes of this are kind of 
illusion. They've kind of been lost. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, for me, it's like, okay, well, if they could turn around the case of the century in a week, uh, well, not them, but the, the DA, pretty sure dispensation for death penalty is probably somewhere up there as well. Like, we're not right. talking, it's not really Manhattan. So, they could write it that, well, no, no, the, the, the judge thinks that uh, a special dispensation has to be made and they're going to kill him. Like, that's more of um, a state. No, well, now, I, I think they're they're going to be pretty real about this and, and there is no death penalty within the New York area at all. So, they haven't, they're not trying the case in an area where the death penalty exists. So... Uh, so he cannot he cannot get the death penalty if the case continues. Now there is one option that they may use, uh, which is mentioned a couple of times in this episode, which is if it's caused if the case is turned into a mistrial um, for any of the reasons that were in this episode. For example, they had to go through four hundred different jurors in the city yeah. of New York to find some people that could reasonably uh, give him a fair enough trial. Uh, if that is found that he can't get a fair enough trial, the case could be thrown out, thrown out and retried, possibly in another state. That does have the death penalty where there will be more people available that may not may be able to give him a fair trial I suppose um, would be a, a way of doing it um, if Reyes is no longer trying the case as the DA in New York um, again it could take place in another in another state possibly um, but I think at the moment that's off the table and I, I do think to, to John's point I think the the element here is just trying to give him as fair a trial as possible the way I saw it was when Foggy gave his speech he was almost saying that uh, Frank doesn't have PTSD because of what, being in the war. He has PTSD at home in the US because of what happened to his family. That is traumatic enough to have led him onto this. And then the added layer of nobody in the police force, nobody in the DA's uh, area, and the medical examiner changing the reports on his on his wife and, and children's murders, all of those added together to him feeling like he has no way out other than to go after these guys on his own. So he is trying to provide some form of justification for what Frank did, um, which I think is is probably the, the only option they have here. Yeah, no, and I, I, I get that, and I kind of agree with your points. It's just that the, the stakes are low. Mm-hmm. Like, we're talking about a universe with ninjas, we're talking about a universe where a man dresses up as a devil and runs around Hell's Kitchen. So mm-hmm. to bend the rules slightly and putting his life on the line that he'll get lethal injection like an hour after the case brings back a stake. But okay. at the moment, the stake is let's get you out of Gen Pop and try and get a mistrial. And blah, blah. The, the believable and unbelievable are trying to merge. And mm-hmm. Absolutely. because they're trying to add more realism into the court scene, you're losing some of the real... You're, you're, the unrealism. The unrealism. And then as you put more unrealism into the nighttime stuff, you're losing a lot of the realism. So there's a, just a bit of a jar in that court bit for me in terms of the 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 stakes, the, the, the tension yeah. for me is just not there. Now, I, I think I know back. what you mean. Yeah. I definitely think I know what you mean. It, it, it's kind of really, um, to some extent, this case now is procedural yes because um unless yes they win the case then that turns law enforcement and, and the rule of law completely upside down absolutely uh, on its head um and, and that- we're not really at the house of m stage yet where, <laughs> um, you know <laughs> humans no longer kind of matter type of thing so um it is ultimately it's procedural and i think maybe um the issue here now is about how lawyers actually do their work maybe that okay 
what's the point in trying to plead insanity when he's not insane? What's the point in pleading uh, PTSD when he doesn't want that? Mm-hmm. He just essentially wants them to tell the truth. Uh, maybe that will resonate to the point, yeah, where he gets a reduced sentence or isn't in general pop. And I think that's all it is. But he will be um, judged and he will get um, imprisonment. He has to. Yeah. Um, and that's only right for the show. Again, this guy has murdered you know, 70 people. Yeah. There's no disputing that. They're not even denying it when they're talking to the jury. Uh, what they're saying is he does deserve justice for that. And I think they're all in agreement on that. In fact, even Karen is on agreement that he does deserve uh, some form of punishment in it. But the, the point again, and probably the Catholic side maybe, or just the general, um, the general, uh, legal side of it is, well, if he's alive, he's alive. And that means that he can make a change in his life and he can be released in future if he's been rehabilitated after this, after this whole thing that's happened to his family. Maybe he can go and have some sessions with a, with a psychiatrist to deal with those issues and, and come back out as a better man. Whereas if you put him on, uh, put him on death watch or you put him in, into, the um the death penalty stage well that's it you've lost your opportunity with this human being uh, who had something absolutely atrocious happen to him and that's that that's it he's done so another great discussion here on the show about uh, about some of the really impactful things that can happen when you have the death penalty out there yeah like i i think the court case now is really driving the tension between this trio of, of Karen, Matt, and, yeah, okay. and Foggy. And I think that's where the tension yeah. is coming from, is that for something slightly innocuous now and procedural uh, that they have to to fulfil as the defence for, for Frank Castle, their relationships are going to be tested on the basis of, to begin with, about whether you, know, you plea PTSD or whatever, but now the fact that He's not even showing up. He's battling with his dual roles of uh, a lawyer and uh, a vigilante Certainly. himself. Uh, but th- this, like what we've talked about already, Karen questioning the, the Daredevil, um, the involvement of Electra, uh, and the bathroom scene then as a result, all of this. Um, I think the court case now is the the tension from it is about driving the wedge through uh, these three protagonists um not necessarily with Frank Castle i still want to know how and what's going to happen to him and whether you know once he's put away is he does he escape does he get broken out of jail because i do Absolutely. think that, yeah. that he's got a significant role to play down the line in this so and he is going to go to prison. Certainly, certainly. And I would say, if this is a different situation, if, for example, Matt had been arrested for being Daredevil, I think the show would be a, a slightly different. They would have a bit higher stakes for the end yeah. of the court case. Now, remember, the Punisher is a big character, but he's not the central character on the show, despite being amazing in the show. Um, so I think we might just get one or two more courtroom scenes. I don't think it's going to take up an entire episode like this particular episode again. Uh, I think we're going to get a lot more storyline around uh, as we go forward. But uh, if he was the central character in the show and he'd been arrested for being a vigilante, I kind of feel we'd probably have a much bigger stake as to whether he'd live or die at the end of that case. Yeah, okay, that's fair. No, it's fair. All right, on that note, John, do you want to give us your final point? Yeah, it's the uh, rail yard and it's the the shipment of dirt. I I love this kind of um, 
to an extent, letdown. I mean, I was expecting another mystical child um, or something yeah. like that to the come out. Time. And instead, it's it's just a load of dirt. And, um, you know, there's the great fight in there where, I just mentioned earlier, you kind of felt this bond developing, you know, in the heat of battle between Electra and Daredevil, which mm-hmm. I thought was really good. You know, she gets wounded. Um, they bond a bit more on the sofa, but not in a physical way. Mm-hmm. And, um, and ultimately this leads us to the, the hole in the ground. Yeah. And, and kind of really what, like Chris, as you've said, um, what's it for? What are, uh, they doing in there? What do they want to do in there? Is it this summoning of a demon? Which would be cool. And I think it would just link in so well with Iron Fist, with Defenders, with other, storylines of daredevil that we've had in the past it would be really cool actually and possibly dr strange oh god damn it i was i was gonna well, say and of course I, that i was like let's see how long we can tease him until he says dr strange <laughs> no, well i didn't want didn't. to no i didn't want to because i we always do and i mean it, 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 it's it's a yeah. given at this stage yeah. surely absolutely that he's going to give them the sanctum to to be um, the defenders from it has to be <laughs> <laughs> we hope so uh, yeah my final point is something quite similar again it is about the, the battle that um, Electra and Daredevil do both the fights really uh, because there's one thing that's really stood out to me in those two fights and I don't know whether it's brand new or whether I just noticed it in this particular episode it's Matt's uh, fighting style seems to have changed slightly in this episode for tw- for two different um, villains or two different bad guys that he's beating up he overbeats them um, yeah. So they're lying on the ground and Matt, uh, the first, the railway battle, I think it's the last guy that he's beating before he goes and, and saves Electra. Uh, he hits him like five or six extra punches to the face and it's, it's focusing on the guy knocked out on the ground receiving two or three punches. Um, and then at the end, when they're going in to find the hole in uh, in where the tenement building used to be, um, again, the final guy that he's beating there, he's, he's, he keeps on hitting him. Uh, and it's only when the other accomplice comes up behind him with a, with a steel bar to try and take out Daredevil that he stops beating him on the ground, uh, takes out that guy and knocks all the bars on top of him. Um, it just feels like Matt is now starting to lose control a little bit. We've heard a lot of mentions throughout the first season. The reason why he's called the Daredevil is because he's got the devil inside him, this uncontrollable rage that he's now focusing and targeting at the bad element of uh, of his city in Hell's Kitchen. Um, but it does feel like it's really come out in this scene, and it's part. I think it's partly to do with um, him working with Electra. We see the scene where, which we haven't actually mentioned, the scene where they're um, telling the translator um, to... Uh, translate the books from uh, from the Yakuza. Uh, we see that scene where Daredevil's holding him up against the window and keeps punching the yeah. window behind him yeah. until it starts to crack. Yeah, absolutely. And then it's only when he literally touches it with the tips of his fingers, the window cracks behind him. So has Daredevil lost control? And do you think it's anything to do with uh, with, with now working with Elektra? Is he starting to, to lose that sense of himself and the devil is being released a bit more? I think it's the overall environment. I think it's the, the, like the stress of they like the the case, the stress of the Punisher, the stress of Electra, the stress of Karen. Like, I think what we're seeing is that the, the he'll get to a point where he'll break, and he mm-hmm. like so like if you haven't seen him kill someone. That's true. Uh, like That's straight true. out. In fact, even with all the mentions of Nobu, one of the things I remember was that it wasn't him that killed Nobu. He set up everything around Nobu that Nobu killed himself. And I yeah. remember we talked about it on the podcast that they wouldn't allow Daredevil kill someone. Um. 
are we going to see him kill someone by mistake in this season? Well, like you said, he was beating that guy just before they went into the before he went to his hole. He was there beating with the guy with a big stick, um, mm-hmm. as you do on a Friday night. Um, <laughs> but uh, I was trying to make sexual innuendo in case anyone was asking. It just didn't really work. It did work. I'm sorry. I got it. <laughs> well, well, Electra did say what took you so long. True, so, I mean, true. You know, Daredevil um, is known for his poise and uh, length of. Billy clubs, um, so as I was like, as I was saying, like I think what we're getting close to is where he's going to lose control, and be it with someone, a lecture. No, it wouldn't be like because you won't see him. Potentially, he could beat on a lecture. He she mm-hmm. po- pushes him to the point where he ends up fighting her, which would be well, an amazing. Fight. Him, we did see him throw her up against the wall in this episode, telling her to stay out of his life. You know. Um, there's still no love lost there or still some real proper tensions between these two characters, even though he is following pretty much every order and instruction that she gives him. Um, he, yeah. he is, he's not, not very happy about following all those instructions, uh, especially when she starts to interfere with the case of the century. Um, you know, that's, that's, uh, that's definitely what we'll see. So maybe it is Electra that he loses it with. And potentially, Chris, you might be right. Maybe he does kill Electra. Oh, with her sigh. Maybe, maybe, oh, maybe. Goodness. We haven't seen her size this season, actually, yet. That's actually one of my... That's true. That's good. So, I think that's the last points that we have on the episode of Daredevil. Yeah. Um, John, do you have any notes that about this episode? Yeah, just Dr. Gregory Pepper, the the ME, who, mm-hmm. um, you know, comes out with the, the huge little revelation, obviously because he's been um, threatened by Electra, which blows the, the bloody doors off the, uh, the relationship with Matt and... And foggy, and obviously has implications with Karen and Electra mm-hmm. uh, with 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 Matt. So, um, you know, this was really good. Like, I wasn't expecting. I was expecting as it had kind of been teed up for the whole of, of the episode that you know the the Emmy had really gotten his story straight. That he was just going to defend his position. Yeah. But instead, he just blabs on the stand that not only did he doctor. Um, the records about um, the death of Frank Castle's family, but also the records for Frank Castle. Was it? Well, that's the interesting part. What he actually says is he doctors the records for, for Frank's family and one other record, but we don't actually hear who the record is. No. It may be Frank. It may be because of the bullets that's of the true, head. Actually. But he doesn't actually say who it is, and it definitely stood out to me uh, as something that we're, we're supposed to be hanging on to and seeing what will happen in the future. Who is that other record that he doctored? Maybe it is Frank. Maybe Frank didn't get a bullet to the head. Maybe this was something that Reyes um, put in there so that people would suspect this guy's gone insane because he got a bullet to the head. I, d- I don't know for definite, but he definitely, uh, what we do here is I've doctored uh, those records and one other is all he all he gets the chance to say before he's cut off and he's thrown out of the court case. Yeah, absolutely. But like a great kind of little um, setup that that kind of goes in a different direction Certainly. here. Really liked it. Certainly, uh, Chris. Any notes from you? Similar to the vein of John, it was actually the two people who showed up and asked him to um, doctor the records. So we've got That's the two true. men in suits again. Yes. So, like, again, we've got these men suits that turned up earlier, and now I'm go. My money is on this secret shield like organization, government run. This is where I'm going. It's, we're going back down the nuke, kind of. Because we know the showrunners are friends, the writers are quite similar. <laughs> like, uh-huh. we know that this everything's connected. So, it's kind of like, okay, so I think we'll get to a point where we will find that the Punisher was part of or 
the, the, yeah, there's something more here, and I'm dying to know what. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, really, really excited to see that. Uh, I've just got a couple of little quick notes. Um, we slightly mentioned it earlier on, but I wanted to call out specifically Foggy's speech. So uh, Foggy says, Frank never came home. He just went from one war zone to another. Uh, it's actually a reference to two different Punisher books. One is Welcome Back, Frank, uh, which is all about him returning home from the war. Uh, and the other one, obviously, as I mentioned, is Punisher War Zone. So nice little touch there from the writers of the episode. Um Second one I wanted to mention was a nice little back, a little callback to season one, uh, where Foggy had said that if uh, if the whole uh, Nelson Murdoch doesn't work out, um, his mom always wanted him to be a butcher. And in this ah, episode, yeah, yeah. he's <clears throat> talking about having to deal with this case that he is totally unwinnable, and goes, "All I want to do right now is go back to being a butcher." Yeah. <laughs> so, oh. so nice little uh, nice little connections there for Foggy. Hopefully, we don't see him as a butcher at the start of season three when everything's failed for uh, for Nelson versus Murdoch. Hopefully it could be uh, Nelson. <laughs> Nelson and Murdoch and Paige Butchery. Butchers at law. Yeah, butchers at <laughs> Oh my god, someone needs to do them dress up as steaks instead of avocados. <laughs> <laughs> that would be cool. Absolutely. Uh, that will make the steaks much higher. Oh, oh Anyway, on that terrible note. On that bombshell, I, indeed. I think it's time to ask Chris, do you defend this episode of Daredevil, season two, episode seven, Semper Fidelis? I do. I know it's quite strange. I do. Um, no, for me it was it, it. It's a good episode. It was slow. We did get some some fisticuffs. We did. We got two nice scenes, and mm-hmm. I'm not saying that there's wrong, but it's again a story driven episode, um, yeah. and I, I have nothing wrong with that. And um, the whole part of a lecture kind of messing up, and as I said, the dual identity starting to get to Matt and kind of causing a lot of ructions in his life. The uh, the courts. As I mentioned, one of the points, the courtroom scene doesn't have the stakes I think it needs right now. Hopefully that will change. Mm-hmm. Um, but then closing on two bombshells, which is that Nelson and Murdoch are potentially at no longer as avocados at law together. They will force to work together, but they're not friends together. And then watch in the hall. Watch <laughs> in the hall. Literally, I just want to finish this. Go inside and just go. Ding. See, here that. The, the the torch just landed. Okay, it at least it has a it's a bottom kind. I can deal with yes, wait that for another some week. bottom. There, yeah. I yeah. reckon it's the Millennium Falcon being chased out uh, by that one of those big monsters. That would cool. Tie the universe together. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and John, do you defend this episode of Daredevil season two, episode seven, Semper Fidelis? I do defend uh, this episode of Daredevil. I give it. Um, four pervy professors uh, lecturing in Asian studies uh, at a New York uh, university out of five. Or or lecturing. Or lecturing, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Lecturers. Um, Absolutely. Um, For me, this was all about the consequence of Matt's actions, Mm -hmm. that gradual eroding of his relationships um, in the law firm between Karen and between Foggy, but also, you know, there are heightened by the, the personal relationships as well. Um, for me, this was really, really good. Um, I loved it. Um, I can absolutely, uh, get the, you know, the, there's a slight flatness to the courtroom because I think the stakes, um, are lower. I still am enjoying it because I think it's driving the, the dismantling of some of the the connections um and, and friendships um of the advocates or the avocados I should say at law you know um 
I'm still enjoying the court case. Don't get me wrong, but I, I can understand Chris's point that you know this is really moving to get the Punisher in prison. And mm-hmm. um, again, the black hole, the intrigue around um, Electra. Is she entirely good? Is she bad? Um, you know, what does she mean by deserves better? This, I think, is, is something I can't wait to to find out. You know, and um, again, I was half expecting Nobu to turn up here. Mm. Certainly, when they go to the the abandoned warehouse, um, where the big hole is. What is in the big black hole? Maybe it is that that pervy um, lecturer from uh, one of the universities. It's a great way to dispose of bodies. That place is huge. <laughs> they yeah. take out half of New York. They could throw all the bodies into that hole. That could all could be all it's about. But why put um, the Yakuza bury their bodies? But exactly. why put the but, dirt in the train? Sorry, why? It's just about transporting it. I think. I think they don't want people to know how much they're getting out of there. It's kind of like that thing that you see in uh, in uh, the Great Escape and that kind of thing. How do you get rid of D- all of this dirt? You know? Oh my god! Can you imagine all these hand ninjas just walking down the street, shaking their legs, shirt falling out? It's like do 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 do. Sorry. Exactly. It's it's kind of like that only on a grander scale. I yeah, suppose. but um, I I really like this episode for for that reason. Um, and definitely, definitely uh, defend it. Uh, and also, I think you know, I gradually understood Karen here in, mm-hmm. in, in this episode as well. And I I think that's important. I think um, you know, this was a really good Karen episode for Certainly. me as well. So um, yeah. Absolutely defend this episode of uh, Dirt Devil. So, Derek, do you defend this episode of Dirt Devil? I certainly do. I was really excited coming in, into this episode. I mentioned on last week's episode, one of the things that this season has been missing, we're seven episodes in and we haven't really seen much of Matt in court uh, and Foggy in court. So having a court scene, these guys are lawyers. Uh, we need to see them in court more often. Uh, they're now on the biggest trial, the trial of the century, as I've, as I've mentioned a number of times. So hopefully we're going to see more of that side of Matt's world. It's kind of easy to forget that he has this whole other life going on uh, when you only see him at night beating up the Punisher or at night following all the bad guys in the city of Hell's Kitchen. Um, He's got a really big job to do uh, now because he's on this trial and he's let Foggy down so many times. So hopefully we're going to see more of that side of Daredevil because it's really important in the comic books. It's really important to the character. So um, this episode really stood out. I loved the speech from Foggy um, in the courtroom. I loved the justification for what Frank has done. I loved John Bernthal's uh, kind of call out to um, soldiers who are suffering from PTSD that this isn't something to be taken lightly. Uh, it is a hugely difficult thing for anybody to go through. Um, so don't just take it and, and throw it on me so you, you can get me off this uh, this case. thought that was fantastic. Again, I've loved Karen all season, but this was a fantastic episode for her. Uh, those two scenes, the one with Matt and the one with Foggy, where she's explaining uh, Frank Castle's predicament, um, thought they were fantastic. Really, really well played, really well acted. Uh, so much stuff going on in this episode but really good setup for the future obviously Electra is going to be very difficult a nice thorn in the side of Matt um, completely ignoring everything about his life and dragging him down these paths to to an eventual confrontation with the Hand or the Yakuza which I think is really going to be exciting uh, but I like that she doesn't care anything at all for Matt's life uh, I think that's a really good touch despite the fact that saying that the reason why she left him and never came back was that she wasn't good enough for him she seems to feel like she has the right decisions for everything in his life even when he's telling her no um, I think that's really good really good stuff uh, an excellent episode overall and with that I think it's time to get on to our feedback 
So the first thing I wanted to talk about in our feedback was I put up a post over on our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash Defenders TV podcast just because Chris was the only person that got a decision on what we call Matt and Karen. It may not matter very much in future, um, but Chris has yeah, made... Chris is shipper. <laughs> Chris, being the shipper of our group, made the decision to call uh, Matt and Karen Marin and on an episode that John wasn't here. So we had a bit of a discussion about it, and John was wondering whether he could propose some other options. Uh, so I put them to our, our listeners over on, over on Facebook. Uh, I put out, uh, obviously, either Marin, which was Chris's suggestion, or Kat, which is obviously Karen and Matt. Uh, merged together as well. Uh, I put out Murdage, um, Murdoch and Page, uh, Paddock, uh, or Mage, as suggested by one of our listeners. Uh, so the responses are in, Chris. It seems like we will have to change the shipper ah. name. Yes, it's gone from Marin, which was your suggestion. And there was some agreement out there that people are happy and that people are used to you saying it now. So, uh, so they're going to keep it. It seems to have turned to the one as described by one of our listeners, Ronaldo. Um, not just because it rolls off the tongue, more like it rocks off the tongue. Murdage. Murdage. Is, is Murdage. what we are going to call the union of Murdoch and Page. And of course, we did have um, Deathwish as well. Uh, another. <laughs> yes, Ben Rush suggested the name Deathwish for, uh, for their relationship. <laughs> <It's quality. laughs> Which I thought was quite a good choice. Uh, he says that they do have to lead up to the Born Again storyline sometime. Uh, maybe that's the way they should do it by calling themselves Deathwish. Uh, good stuff. And Rebecca does propose that we just keep calling them Matt and Karen. Stop with the shipper names. So, uh, yeah, well well done for that, Rebecca. Thanks very much for the feedback Marin on that post. forever. Marin forever. <laughs> the listeners have spoken. It is murdage. Uh, uh, sorry, Chris. Okay. Their uh, relationship will end in murdage. <laughs> And our other piece of feedback comes from Ronaldo, uh, who sent us feedback to feedback at DefendersTVPodcast.com. He says, hi, guys. Great coverage of the Daredevil season. As always, uh, I thought I'd drop you a few comments on this episode, which I found highly entertaining. The series finally vocalizes the divide that the Punisher's actions have on New Yorkers, and we finally get more of the courtroom drama that Daredevil has always threatened to deliver. Karen and Matt's discussion on the Punisher's motives later in the episode further typifies the divide Castle has on the community, and it must be a sore point for Matt especially after episode three, where he tries to reason with the Punisher. The Daredevil suit is really starting to look so cool, although Electra's costume is massively different to that of the comics. However, I'm not sure her comic costume would have worked on TV. It's great to see that the Daredevil mask so good in close-up and the costume in general has a streetwear quality. Yeah, we've not really mentioned the costume of Elektra that much. In the comic books, it is totally what you would have in comic books, something that's completely (laughs) gravity-defying and shows off every single element of the... Uh, the poorly drawn woman underneath it, uh, or impossibly drawn woman underneath it. Um, so I'm really liking that they went for a really practical costume for for Elektra uh, in the TV show. I like the idea that it's effectively just um, it's just a jumpsuit that she pulls up a mask on. That's really practical. It doesn't seem like she'd have to spend uh, seven or eight hours getting uh, getting covered in some kind of lubing material to get to stretch into something that couldn't fit her at all. <sighs> Well, uh, the mind boggles. Um, I do think that um, I would definitely agree that Karen and Matt's discussion about the Punisher, yeah, 
love that. I think um, it is this idea, which I think what the courtroom drama brings in as well is this divide on the actions of Castle. That's a really good uh, aspect uh, of this courtroom drama. And I, I think it does show just how much that the courtroom drama is driving the um the tensions here not only within new york but between these three as our main protagonists yeah love it certainly certainly and ronaldo also has another suggestion to replace our whiskey watch from uh from jessica joan he's suggesting coffee watch uh effectively when karen comes in and provides coffee once again for foggy uh she shouts to him and says they have uh, she has some takeaway dinner. Where does she get the money from? Twice she shouted drinks and food, but they have no income coming in. <laughs> so this is something that we should be watching for the rest of the season. Karen does seem to be the provider of uh, of money. We do know there is money in the bank, obviously now for uh, provided by Electra, but um, but it is something that I noticed in the past that effectively she does seem to be the one that's feeding the boys constantly ever since the first episode of the first season where she cooked them up that dinner in her apartment as a thank you for uh, for saving her. Um, she has always been the one to bring. The coffee and bring uh, and bring lunch in for them. Uh, so she's obviously supporting them somehow. Uh, good call out there, Ronaldo. So Ronaldo goes on to say, "I thought Frank's mental state was really well summarizing Karen's description of it to Foggy. It further allows us to empathize with the Punisher and kind of scientifically explains his state of mind and ideology." Uh, which I'm not so sure has ever been done in the comic books. At this point, I have very mixed feelings for Elektra. Her Netflix version seems far more vulnerable than her comics version, which is much more of a force of nature. She gets wounded in the train yard fight, and previously she had struggled in the fights, and that makes it all the more compelling. I feel nervous for her at times, whereas her comic book counterpart seemed unbeatable. Her behaviour the morning after, almost a a sort of resignation, intrigues me more. She's a hard one to figure out. Yeah, I agree with that that she's going to be... A divisive character, I think, for a majority of people who, for what viewers of the show, because yes, she's uh, the strong woman who can take on anything, but she really should be wearing body armor. Like mm-hmm. Matt should bring her to Gladiator, just kind of go, "Hey, can you can you just can you just make?" She got cut twice in this episode, and you're like, "Come yeah. on." You are you are wondering. It is kind of unfair of him to yeah. go into a fight with her while he's wearing, as as described Absolutely. by by the gladiator, on unpenetrable armor. He's going to a fight side by side with someone that's effectively just wearing a t shirt and uh, and a pair of trousers. You know, um, yeah, you're probably right. She does need some armor. Maybe maybe a trip uh, over to uh, over to gladiator. Just cover her arms. Yeah. Cover can stop that hard. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, she probably needs something on her neck now yeah, as well. Yeah. Uh, I did like that little little touch in the episode where she says, I guess I can never have my hair short again. Uh, <laughs> that was quite a good little <laughs> touch because uh, it did show off the new scar that she's just gotten. Uh, really good. And finally, Ronaldo says, I love the ties to season one. Matt's battle scars from Nobu, Karen's recollection to Matt of their first encounter and her meeting with the Devil of Hell's Kitchen. Also the tenement that the King, Pin and Nobu sought out, which looks to be part of the Han's greater plan. Absolutely. And Electra's interference and the eventual confrontation with Matt and Foggy was heavy. As annoying as it was that Electra intervened, I'm on Foggy's side here on how they left it high and dry by Matt. Uh, the seam, the seams are well and truly fraying at Nelson and Murdoch, something that Matt's nightly vigilanteism heavily accounts for. Episode 7 still keeps the Punisher storyline ticking, but it's starting to really take a left turn with Daredevil Electra's investigations with the Yakuza and the Hand. Look forward to the coming episodes. Cheers, Ronaldo. Thank you so much for that feedback, Ronaldo. Really good to hear from you about the episode. Absolutely. Thank you so much, uh, Ronaldo. Um, I'm really looking forward to seeing uh, what comes out of that hole, uh, to be honest. Um, mm-hmm. 
and seen the Yakuza, uh, hat, the hand plotline as well. Um, yeah, this, this will be really good. I can't wait to, to, to see that, um, for sure. <laughs> Yeah, imagine it was just a massive hand that came out of the hole. <laughs> be like, that's it, that's it. We suddenly go from like a kind of superheroes to one of those kind of Godzilla type hands just coming out of the holes. It was the the Gaiku movies. Yes. Yes, Gaiku movies. We like Godzilla suddenly takes over, like comes out of the hole. No, um, <laughs> no, I'm really interested to see. I agree with the the fraying of the the Nelson and Murdoch as we've discussed kind of Big a lot on this in this point in this episode. Um, and I agree with all your points. Actually, now thinking about it, just on the costumes, that's good. Yeah, that's gonna either be that's gonna be one of my pain points now. Why did you oh, tell no. me this? Why did you tell me this? Every time she gets a dick, I'm like, cover up, woman, cover up. Come on. <laughs> it's like I know you want to show off your athletic body, but and we really appreciate it. But cover up. We don't want to see you any more scars. Please um, don't hurt. Please no, don't get hurt. No, yeah. it's like not the face, not the face. <laughs> um, but no, I agree, and thank you very much for your feedback, and hopefully uh, we'll see more on Facebook as we put up episode eight. Absolutely. Uh, and if you want to send in your feedback to us, just make sure you email us at feedback at defenderstvpodcast.com. Just give us the episode title in the email, as we're obviously not going to be able to see the other five episodes for the next five weeks uh, as we're covering the rest of the season of Daredevil. Uh, you can also join us over on Facebook at facebook.com slash groups slash defenderstvpodcast. Yeah, thank you so much for all the feedback. Um, thank you, Ronaldo. Uh, really appreciated. Um, love uh, that all these comments are coming in. Yeah, we we also hoped you enjoyed our YouTube experiment uh, looking at Doctor Strange, uh, the first teaser trailer. Please uh, subscribe uh, and, and join up with us there on YouTube. This is a little foray into that area, see mm. how it goes. Um, but thank you, uh, everyone, uh, for, for listening. And, of course, we'll be back um, with the next episode of Daredevil. Absolutely. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast over at iTunes by just going through our direct link at defenderstvpodcast.com slash iTunes. Or if you don't use iTunes, if you're not an Apple person like myself, uh, you can subscribe to us through any Android podcast catcher by going uh, through it and looking for Defenders TV Podcast. Some of the ones we recommend are things like Podcast Addict, Beyond Pod, Stitcher as well. Google Play Music is apparently launching very soon in the US and hopefully it will be launching in Europe very soon. And we are hoping to be uh, one of the first European podcasts up there once that gets out. So uh, we won't be there if it launches in the next couple of weeks, but we will be there very soon, hopefully. Google um, Fi. But otherwise, you can find us on any other good or strange podcast catcher. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you again for episode eight. See you, but I do not endorse that strange comment. I'm sorry, people. I'm sorry. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. All roads lead to Doctor Strange, October 2016. Bye. <laughs>